God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is 508, a show about Worcester for October the 27th, 2015. Today on the show, Brendan Melican. How's it going? It's going good. Get over here. Mike Benedetti. Michael Benedetti. Brendan, this is our pre-election special. It's finally here. I wish months and months <laughs> leading up to this event. You know, for some reason, for the last decade or so, I've been disproportionately interested in Worcester politics. Mm -hmm. It's just been a real interest of mine. And I finally... I feel like I'm finally burned out. Well, I think that's actually kind of natural, too. I think if you, even if you went through people who work on the, uh, worked in politics and whatnot, mm -hmm. the same thing. By the time the election gets here, you're done. It's, it's over. It's... You think this is going to be one of these things like pregnancy, that a couple of months after the election, I'm going to be like, I'd be willing to go through another election. Yeah, sure, because I'll forget the pain. Because just like pregnancy, it's such a stressful and traumatic event that your brain actually blocks out everything that you went through. And a couple <laughs> months from now, we're going to be looking back and saying, oh, that was awesome. You're only going to remember the beautiful things. That was the best. Well, uh, one thing that was great about this election year is that usually Worcester elections, people talk a lot about issues, but issues aren't important. Mm -hmm. This is one year when I think issues are going to be important. Um, whether or not the issues themselves are important is a completely different topic. The idea of issues show. being yeah. the, more, more, it's more about issues than, yes. more, than, than about personality. Definitely an issue-driven campaign cycle, which is great. Yeah. So today on the show for our pre-election special, we're going to talk about do Worcester elections matter and does your vote matter? Mm -hmm. These are the two questions. All right. Do Worcester elections matter? Oh, you're asking me? Do you, what you, I came here so you could tell me. Um, yeah, no, of course they matter. Any election matters. If, if for no other reason than to remind people of the process that they're able to participate in. If they didn't matter, then we may as well just have a lottery that just picks a random uh, semi-qualified person out of a hat for two years, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the idea of actually of engagement is huge. And, and I think we all learn something, especially in these years where you can watch the the number of active and engaged voters diminish over time. Yes, that equal that that's just as important because it, it, it helps folks realize one that your voting base is dying, literally dying, uh, and that there's there's work that needs to be done to bring new people into the fold. You mentioned this was a, a cycle that was driven by issues. I can guarantee you there are going to be first-time voters uh, in this cycle who were drawn in by the, some of those issues. Not in droves. I mean, it's not going to be game-changing. We're not going to wake up on Wednesday next Wednesday morning and find that there was you know a hundred percent voter turnout. Uh, but there will be new new participants in that cycle, and they're brought in because of those issues and people finding new ways to tap into the interests of folks that are out there just wanting to be engaged. So the process itself matters, and in that sense, the elections matter. I want to use this whiteboard. Aww. You just knocked it over, but I want to use this whiteboard to, to, to show some stuff. So, here's what I'm going to say. All right. I think that the election matters as a whole. I think that the different votes that you have, some of them matter more than others. Mm -hmm. You've got three kinds of people that you get to vote for, really four, I guess, mm -hmm. in this election, right? You get to vote for at-large city councilors. Right. You get, everybody gets six votes. Those six candidates who get the most votes of all that pool of votes, mm -hmm are at large, right. at large. People watching this probably already know this, but I just want to go over mm -hmm. And then you, m most people are also going to have a district councillor to vote for. In yes. some of the districts, there's n there's nobody opposing the incumbent in a couple of the but districts. But there'll still be a name there. So there's, yeah. You could still yeah. vote. You could, as a protest, vote against mm -hmm. them. And I, I, honestly, I think that typically it's not surprising to see a third of the people vote nobody, you know, right. t just, just as a protest vote mm -hmm. against the incumbent. Um, I, you know, I've said in the past on this show that the best way to think about a city councilor is as a LARPing ombudsman. Mm -hmm. LARPing is in live action role playing, but there's a lot of time spent 
saying, oh, it's very important that we have some sort of long debate about whether or not to, you know, whatever, repaint this line on the street or not, right. or name this holiday after somebody's dog, or whatever it is. The real question to you is, are they or are they not in costume? Exactly, exactly. They might as well have foam swords in a field ca casting pretend spells. Yeah. But the ombudsman part is very important, which is the part where, you know, if you have to do something with a street tax, or, you know, a street betterment assessment, mm -hmm. taxes for repairing your street, and you're like, ah, this isn't fair because of this and this, they're the person who's going to help you with that process. Right. Or if there's a problem with your sidewalk, or if you're, if you're having whatever kind of problem with your neighborhood, they're the people that you can turn to, and things will hopefully actually get fixed. Mm -hmm. There's nobody else really in city government right. who will who will like burn dogs up for you, like your city councilor. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, it's really it's really really important. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and the city council theoretically, I guess, could be a very influential body, but for all the time I've ever ever paid attention to Worcester politics, they really have not. Right? The leadership comes from the city manager. The vision comes from the city manager. Mm -hmm. The day-to-day -day decision making, of course, comes from the city manager. And the council doesn't seem to be that interested in pushing back on the city manager or directing the city manager. Yeah, and I, th I think the relationship has always been set up where um, you have more of a push and pull between the state delegation uh, on Beacon Hill, the local delegation to Beacon Hill, uh, and the manager's administration. Then you do yeah. have direct involvement from councilors, especially the uh, the district councilors right. as well. Yeah, sure, sure. So then the second thing is the school committee members. The school committee. <coughs> This, the relationship between the school committee and the superintendent is kind of like the relationship between the city councilors mm -hmm. and the city manager, except that the school committee, in the decade that I paid attention to Worcester politics, seems to be much more functional, and they're much more about setting an agenda, and they're much more about pushing the superintendent around, or at least letting the superintendent know, yeah. this is not this is something we're not happy with, and this is something we are. So I feel like that's, that's something where not only are they people who could help you with some school issue and be mm -hmm. an ombudsman for you, but their opinion about the issues matters because they have a healthier relationship with, with their executive. Exactly, and I think that makes perfect sense, right? Because their focus is very linear, right? I mean, like if we were asking uh, at-large candidates this year what they thought their role in the school should be. Everybody had a different thought as to how deep into the schools they could actually get. If we were interviewing school committee candidates, I don't think if we asked them, so what should your role be in uh, the collective bargaining agreement with the Worcester Fire Department, I don't think any of them would have said, you know, the school committee really needs to have more of a say in, in the sort of uh, resources that are allocated to the yeah. fire department. They have a very, very clearly defined lane uh, to work in. So I, I think what you just described, that working relationship is the byproduct of knowing exactly what it is that they, they're charged with doing, providing a good a quality yeah. of public education, and they know exactly who uh, that bidirectional relationship is in terms of the administration being the superintendent. Yeah. City council is a little bit more complicated, right? I mean, you think of the number of departments and department heads uh, that need to be interacted with. There's just a lot more options. Running a good right. school system, we know what that means. Running a good city could mean spending a lot of time on police matters, spending a lot of time on naming holidays after people's dogs, yes. some mixture of the two. You didn't even bring up zip lines, right? I mean, there's you could go in just about any direction. This is not. Nobody's talking about this. This is not going to happen this year. There's going to be no civic zip lines. The third. So the third thing, then, of course, is the mayor. And the mayor, uh, I think, obviously matters in part because the mayor is on the school committee, mm -hmm. and in part because the mayor is the chairman of the city council. So presumably, the most powerful person on the city council. Right. Um, you know, like I mean, in the mayor's race, you know, this year there's been it's been a very uh, a very hard fought race between the incumbent mayor Joe Petty and the challenger. Mike Gaffney, Bill Coleman is also running, but I don't think he's seen as being a, a, a viable candidate for that, as much as I love Bill Coleman. Yeah. And n nobody, except for maybe Bill's own relatives, 
love Bill Coleman as much love as you Bill do. Coleman as much as me. <laughs> but um, you know, and I think it's sort of interesting. I, I would say, um, you know, especially to, like to those people who are worried that Gaffney is going to win. Like, I sort of feel like, honestly, it's kind of like a win-win mayoral race for right. those guys, where it's like, if Gaffney loses, Gaffney loses. All right, great, you're big enemy. Mike Gaffney's lost. But if Gaffney wins. Maybe Mike Gaffney will be as inconsequential as every other Worcester mayor for the last 40 years. There is that possibility. But maybe Mike Gaffney won't be, and he'll figure out a way to be an effective Worcester mayor. Mm -hmm. He could be that. Or he could also be, there's always that third option too, which I think is something that escapes folks when it comes to elections, is that sometimes voting against your own best interests mm -hmm. gives you the opportunity to actually see whether or not the person that you're so terrified of is actually capable of burning the whole world down around you. And, Mike Gaffney is probably not going to set the city on oh, fire no. in terms of uh, scorch and burn destructive politics. There's right? nobody. So there's nobody in this race who I know is is, is prepared to destroy the city of yeah. Worcester. From we what have I no one. He, Mike Gaffney's not building some secret Voltron yeah. in his garage. Although he does have a lot of cars, so if there was anyone with that potential, it would be Mike Gaffney. <laughs> he would have the, that's more. Well, maybe it's a little more of a transformer. That would be more of a transformer. Well, I, I don't know. Wait, would it be? Were there any transformers? I, we don't, we don't need to. We don't need to get onto that. That's, that's, that's too controversial. Week. <laughs> but uh, as I was saying, I think that if Mike Gaffney wins and is an effective mayor, mm -hmm. then suddenly somebody's cracked the code, and then you can elect whoever you want to beat Mike Gaffney in the next election, and they can be an effective mayor for they've your got, issues. They've got the roadmap to work with. Yeah. So I feel like I'm really hoping that either Joe Joe Bryan figures it out, or not Joe Bryan, what's his name, Joe Petty? That guy, yep. The I'm, real question I, is, I, though, uh, going back to the real question, is do elections matter? I think the answer is yes. Okay. I think the answer is yes. I think that the answer is they, they matter less than people say. I, I, you know, I also wanted to uh, mention this great quote from Connie, Connie Lukes, who you know, has been, was, was Worcester mayor for three or four years. Mm -hmm. um, there was a great interview with her with the Worcester Oral History Project mm -hmm. after she left being the mayor. And the student who was doing the interview said, Do, did you like being the mayor? And Connie's response was, it was an overwhelming task for a ceremonial position. <laughs> so. Uh, right. Yeah, so, you know, God bless these people who run for these ceremonial positions. They are overwhelming tasks. Um, and they are overwhelmed. Yeah, I don't, so, um, yeah, so I guess the elections matter. So we can go home now? Yeah, do you, do you want to wrap up the show? Anything else to talk about? <laughs> we can talk about whether your vote, whether, what is the value of your vote? What is the value of my vote? Here's what I want to I say. I see math down there. I'm going to do some mathematics. Let me hold this up for you so you can uh, do some we'll math. We'll knock this sucker down again. Here's what I'm going to say, Brendan. I was, you know, I I have been very skeptical many elections that mm -hmm. voting matters. This is an election I think where because issues and because issues matter and because candidates are coming from more different positions than in the past, that it probably is actually a consequential election. But sure. I have on this show in the past advocated not voting in certain elections, mm -hmm. controversially. People have attacked me publicly and very much privately <laughs> for this. I feel like this is I I I read this great. This great uh, chapter in a book, though, that kind of made me think differently about this. And I want to just share this with you. Okay. My personal conversion experience. This is in a book called Doing Good Better by Will McCaskill. This is a book about uh, the effective altruism movement. Mm -hmm. And effective altruism is something we can talk about during our Voltron show next week. All right. But he has, he has a chapter in the book called Why Voting is Like Donating Thousands of Dollars to Charity. And he tries to calculate the expected value of voting. And uh, you know, expected value is a pretty straightforward thing. Like, uh, it's basically you look at the you look at the possible outcomes, mm -hmm. and then you say, what are the outcomes worth, and what is the chance the outcomes are going to happen, and then you multiply those things together. Okay. So, like, if you've got a 10% chance of winning $100, mm -hmm. right? 
it's like, well, your chance, each time you take a chance, your chance is 100 divided by, times 10%, 100 okay. divided by 10, it's 10, $10. Sure. So if you got a 10% chance of winning $100, you would expect to win $10 mm -hmm. if you did that often enough. Okay. So the idea is, what is, what is that for voting? What, if you voted often enough, what would you expect the benefit to be? Now the thing is, when you're voting, you're obviously not personally getting any money. But you are electing people who are making decisions with money, and if you are voting for people that you like and people you think will help society, mm -hmm. it's kind of like saying, I would like to see this much more money go to the causes that I think will make the world a better place and help people who need help. Yeah, because whatever. that's what I'm saying. I mean, there, no one's cutting you a check from City Hall for your participation right. on Election Day. But, I mean, I, I think it is fair to say that there's an obvious uh, return on investment in terms of voting, which is you know, what makes why elections matter, right? Yeah. I mean, the outcomes in the city, whether it be uh, people's property values from their investments, opportunities for starting businesses, uh, public school education for, for young folks. And all. These are things that are all directly tied to the outcomes of elections. Um, public safety. You know, all of these things directly tied. So yeah, right. there is a definite, uh, concrete uh, return on investment that you can wrap your hands around. That's probably worth more than ten dollars. Well, so well, so here's that's not a bad investment for that ten dollars. So here's his calculation, and this is a back of the envelope <coughs> calculation. This involves a lot of guesswork. When you're making these kind of calculations, the goal is to make the guesswork, you know, reasonable enough that maybe somebody can argue with you, but that you're not going to be too far out of line. Mm -hmm. Um, You're holding a marker. My arm's getting tired. Am I doing anything up here? Gonna, I know I don't want to do anything. I know <laughs> you're going to draw some pictures. So he, tried, he tries to calculate the expected value of voting. Um, and he, and the, he looks at the 2008 presidential race. And uh, there was a paper published by Nate Silver and a few others calculating that you had a 1 in 60 million chance of casting a tie-breaking vote in the 2008 presidential election. That's mm -hmm. actually a lot higher than I would have guessed, 1 in 60 million. Uh, and he thinks it's reasonable to assume that if your preferred candidate won that election, it was like $314 billion being spent in a way that you think benefits society better. Mm -hmm. So the value of your vote in the 2008 presidential election would have been $314 billion, a 1 in 60 million chance of that. Mm -hmm. $314 billion divided by 60 million is $5,200. And that's like a give or take thing. So maybe it's guessing way in the wrong direction and it should be 50,000 or maybe it's guessing in the other direction it should be 500. It's somewhere in there though. It's probably at least worth hundreds of dollars. I think the more important question then is on Tuesday, is my time better spent going to vote or going to Cumberland Farms to buy a lottery ticket? The lottery tickets are have way worse odds. The odds are There's worse. no way, the expected value of a lottery ticket is always a lot less than you spend. Okay, right. I just want to make sure. In fact, it's usually. I mean, there's 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 an argument to be made that your chances of finding a winning lottery ticket mm -hmm. laying on the ground that somebody scratched off and threw away are about your chances of if you buy a lottery ticket, that lottery ticket winning. That's how bad your chances are in, in any kind of real big lottery. Okay. Um, so voting is still the. So voting is way better than lotteries. You don't get the money yourself, but yeah. like he says, it's like giving thousands of dollars to charity. So sure. Worcester, Worcester, you got. Uh, how many votes are you going to get on this? You basically got like 14 votes, right? You got, that you're going to get to have on the ballot. They're so votes. you've got six six at-large councilors, six at-large school committee people, mm -hmm. one district councilor, and then the mayor vote is kind of like a little bonus thing. Mm -hmm. um, so, do you think there's a one in 60 million chance that you would cast a tie-breaking vote in a Worcester election? 
I think it's got to be a lot better than one in sixteen million. I hope not. That would I would be I wouldn't sleep if that was if there was ever an election in Worcester that was decided by one vote. I, I would never sleep again thinking that it was my vote. It happens all the time. We've had so many close elections. They're close, years. but not that kind of. Well, we've never had, we've never had a presidential election that literally hinged on one vote. This is true. Yeah. So the idea is, if that happened, what would what's the chance you would be the tiebreaker in that one in sixty million? That's still a lot more likely than I would have thought. Yeah. Nate Silver, I trust his math on this stuff. I think the answer is honestly, it's got to be a hundred times more likely mm -hmm. than you than you be would be a tiebreaker in Worcester than you would be at large in, in the United States. But I think that also, and that's partly why I drew the take to board here, because I think part of that also is based on the idea that uh, all things are considered equal in an election, which they're not, right? I mean, you, even though we have nonpartisan elections, if you started breaking down or adjusting for a candidate's viability based on party affiliation, mm -hmm. um, based on the issues that they brought up, like mm -hmm. this year, uh, you start getting a lot of um, artifacts that are there that are going to throw off that idea yes. of a tie. That's ultimately would make, if two Joe, if Joe Petty cloned himself, or Mike uh, Gaffney cloned himself, and they ran against each other uh, for mayor, then you might be able to come close to the idea of having that one little tie breaking oh. sort of thing. And but, there's no, right, and there's, this is, um, you know, this is not, this is not to say that we worked out every mathematical mm. angle here. This yeah. is just to say that, you know, this is where we're at. Yes. This is just a guesswork. So I'm going to say, I think it's literally 100 times more likely that you break a tie in a Worcester election. There's only going to be like, how many thousand, a few, a few thousand people vote? Maybe 10,000, Oh yeah, yeah. and when you have that low a number of turnout, the likelihood of having All you that do close. is, it doesn't have to be the, the, the Gaffney-O'Brien yeah. or, or Gaffney-Petty race. It could be, oh, I was confused. Um, it could be anything. Missed, it could be any, anyway. So let's say it's a so let's say it's let's say it's a hundred times more likely. That's one in six hundred thousand mm -hmm. chance of being the tiebreaker. Um, the annual budget on this on the uh, school side is mm -hmm. three hundred million dollars a year, give right. or take. This is all give or take. City side three hundred million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. Any candidate you vote then you elect then is presumably controlling a three hundred million dollar budget. Sure. They're controlling it for two years, two year term. $600 million over two, two. Now, I always like to bring up the fact that a lot of what we spend the money on is not up to the city council or the, or the school committee. Right. It's stuff that other legal entities or other contracts are forcing us to spend. Mm -hmm. What is the discretionary budget? Nobody I've talked to knows. I'm going to say it's 10%. Mm. This sounds, is it is it 50%? Is it 5%? I don't know. 10% is somewhere in the ballpark. Mm -hmm. All I've gone for the ballpark. So I think 10%. So, uh, six, what do we say, $600 million, 10% of $600 million of a budget is $60 million. Honestly, we're only thinking, we're thinking about one candidate here. Maybe they control a tenth of that, because mm -hmm. you're going to vote for an effective candidate. You're not voting for a nudnik in this, theory, in this idea. Right. You're voting for somebody who really can control 1% of that money. $6 million over two years. Okay. So $6 million, and you get a one in 600,000 chance of being the tiebreaker, and how $6 million dollars get spent. Hmm. Right? What does that equal? That equals ten dollars. That is a ten. Yeah. That's, that's that's where you're saying that's not a that's not a dollar. That's a Yeah, ten so I think it's ten dollars. So like um, now is it I mean am I, am I making a guess here that it's should some estimation wrong here? Oh yeah it might be eleven dollars. It might be eleven dollars, mm -hmm. it might be one dollar, it might be a hundred dollars. Could be a hundred dollars. 
But I think it's probably in the ballpark. I would be surprised if it's. I think it's probably in the ballpark of ten dollars. I'd be surprised if it was ten cents. Mm -hmm. I'd be surprised if it was a thousand dollars. So mm -hmm. I think the expected value to the community of your voting mm -hmm. is going to be like ten dollars. Huh. What would you get for ten dollars in the city of Worcester? Depends on where you go. There's a number of restaurants where you could get a really nice, something really nice. Mm -hmm. A coffee shop for ten dollars, you could honestly get a cup of coffee and a little snack. Yeah. Some place like maybe a little Middle Eastern joint, you could get a nice falafel sandwich and a soda for ten. How about in terms of uh, municipal? Like, would ten dollars get you a bottle fill? No way. I mean, ten dollars is you know probably a fraction of an hour of, for most city employees yeah. of them doing work, or you know, mm -hmm. it's a small amount of materials or whatever. Okay. But it's ten dollars. I mean, it's ten dollars. Yeah. It's not. It's not five thousand mm -hmm. dollars. But it's ten dollars. Right. So the idea is to think that you're going to vote. You can, if you want to be cynical about it, or not cynical about it. If you want to be, if you don't, don't want to worry about the civic angle, mm -hmm. civic values, civic participation. You can say it's like giving ten dollars to charity. Okay. Ten. You give ten dollars to a charity. What is it? What does the Red Cross do with ten dollars? It pays for a fraction of an hour of somebody's time. It buys a few bandages. It pays for some, some number of nails for building a house in a disaster area. But you still get $10 to the Red Cross. Yes. Or whatever charity you like. MSF or Which is a good way of looking at it. Although, yeah. if you do look at it that way, and you try writing off your $10 uh, donation to the city of Worcester via voting on your taxes next year, we're not supporting you in that. And don't blame us for if you, it. If you do it, let me know. I'm really curious to hear how that works out. <laughs> um, anyway, I just think that this is cool. Like, before, again, I used to think, feel like, it's not, it's not worth voting in an election unless you really feel like there's some real issues at stake. Mm -hmm. Now I feel like it's actually worth voting in a city election. I mean, is it, I mean, like my polling place mm -hmm. is not that far from where I am usually during the day. Sure. It's a nice walk over there. Voting is very fast. There's no lines in Worcester elections because nobody votes. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I'll get to just like talk to some nice, some nice people there at the polls. There'll probably be some people holding signs out so I get to chat with them. Yeah. It's a pleasant way to spend, you know, half an hour of my day, mm -hmm. and I get to think of that I'm giving ten dollars to charity. I say I'm going to vote, Brendan. That's no, what right. I'm just I'm just putting that out there. I'm going to vote. You going to tell us who you're going to vote for? I don't know. Okay. In the past, you know, in the past we always endorsed candidates on these shows, right? Yeah. Um, and we did in the primary too, or we at least gave like a pitch for. Yeah. I mean, this is just part of my. I'm going to use the whiteboard. This is just part of my feeling like. Uh, I'm so tired of this election. <laughs> it is kind of I, I kind of don't even want to endorse anybody. No, I mean, I, I, I think the if, the if we could say anything, it would just be give, I, I would say give uh, newcomers a strong, healthy look. That's, uh, I think that's kind of been the, the MO for us over the, the last couple of years. You should be, generally, you should be biased in favor of challengers and yeah. against, I would say against lawyers. Against lawyers, yeah. Yeah. Don't um, yeah. The people that you don't trust in life, generally speaking, you shouldn't actually put in charge of your life. I have one more math thing I can share with people. Oh, good. This is how should you vote? I can tell. I can't tell. I don't want to endorse somebody necessarily, mm -hmm. but I can tell you strategically. Now, the last time we did a show, I was talking about why you should not bullet vote. Bullet voting means even though you could cast six six votes on um, on the ballot, you know, you're not. You don't cast all six. You're like, I love Mike Parado so much. It's mm -hmm. gonna be one vote for Mike Parado. All my other five votes are gonna be blank because screw all the other candidates, I want to help Parado and not even slightly help anybody else. And I argue that this was never a good strategy in our election system. Just pausing for a moment, if you do that, does your vote, is it worth more or less? I don't We, we, can, we can talk about that we'll next two years. Week. Next okay. week we'll talk about that. Between Voltron and, <laughs> between yeah. Mike Voltron and Mike Parado and all yeah. the other stuff. Um, uh, and, and the reality is that you can sit down and draw on a piece of paper 
election scenarios involving you know two candidates, three voters, you know, oh look, in this case it's worth somebody bullet voting. Mm -hmm. um, you can definitely there are there I would say that there definitely are situations where bullet voting makes sense. Sure. Here what I would argue is that once you get above a little two candidate three voter model, it becomes insanely complicated. Like nobody even can figure out how to work it out complicated to mm -hmm. figure out whether you should bullet vote or not. So I would say you shouldn't bullet vote because it's hard to figure out when you should bullet vote. I would say it's impossible to figure out if you, it's like 50-50. Should you bullet vote or not? It's impossible for you to know. Yeah. And it's impossible to know what the right strategy is. Of course. But, bullet the, vote. but the flip side of that is also that just because you have six votes doesn't mean you have to use them all. And if you find yourself having voted for five people, you got one hanging out and that, that are, and you, you look at the, the remainder on, on, on that list, and you can't find anybody who you even remotely appreciate in life. You don't have to agree with. You don't have to use six votes. But I and here's but I want to argue that you should. And this is because <laughs> I think because there's two reasons. The first reason is that, or there's two sort of factors playing into this. The first one is that I can give you an actual strategy for if you don't bullet vote mm -hmm. that we know mathematically could be a good strategy. And the second thing is because because we had a preliminary election because we already voted mm -hmm. for all these candidates. You know, whatever two months ago. Sure. We actually kind of know something really interesting, which is how strong they all are. Like objectively, we know how the electorate actually thinks how strong they are. Yes and no. I would argue that well, well because it, uh, there are folks that you can actually look at again with math. You can look at and figure out what their ceiling is uh, based on their ability, their name recognition prior to an, an election cycle, uh, their potential for touching new voters, mm -hmm. uh, and then what kind of growth they could see going into a general election. So like every candidate is going to have you know a, a hypothetical ceiling in terms of the number of votes they could capture. Right. The, the preliminary only shows you uh, the potential ceiling up to that point. It doesn't actually figure in any of the work that candidates with a higher ceiling could do between the preliminary and the general election. Like I would argue that there were some folks in that preliminary that they actually maxed out the number of votes that they could potentially receive in that preliminary because they either they were already incumbents or they were challengers who would actually make contact with everyone that could potentially vote for them, that they could really sell themselves on in that time frame. Then there are other folks that didn't have that same opportunity. They had work to do between the preliminary and the general. They're actually capable of raising that ceiling for themselves. This is true. This is also makes it really complicated. So I, I know. Go That's into, why I'm telling you, don't vote for people you don't trust. I want to go into a complicated uh -oh. but more simple way to do strategy here. And this is what we talked about before: the Meyerson, Meyerson Weber strategy, or the Meyer Weber Meyer Weberson strategy for voting. The Meyer Weberson strategy says that if you want to maximize your expected value, mm -hmm. expected value that what we're looking at there for ten dollars. Yeah. You want to maximize how happy you are with the election results. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need to vote for people who are maybe not your most favorite most fam favorite candidate mm -hmm. because that person actually has a, a much better chance than your favorite candidate. You kind of like them and so multiplying that together the expected value is a lot higher. Right. And they sort of go through the math of how do you compare how do you decide how do you calculate what somebody's chance is based on what you know about the election? Sure. Usually you don't know that much. The factors like you bring up are very important. In this case, you at least know based on the preliminary, for example, generally how popular people are. Right. So right. The, I think here's what I think the strategy is if you don't bullet vote. I think that you know if there's people on that list that you've got to vote for because whatever they're your sister, mm -hmm. you're in love with them, they're Bill Coleman, whatever people mm -hmm. you've got to vote for whether or not they're 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 going to be that successful in the election. That's fine. Vote for those people. You know you vote for the, the, those one one or two people. But then what I think you do for these last four four slots is you look at that preliminary election results mm -hmm. and you say 
you just start at the top and you're just like, who is acceptable to me? Who do I like more than dislike? Oh yeah. Do I kind of like Joe Petty? Then put him as your next slot. Do I kind of like Connie Lukes? Or do I kind of like, put her as your next slot? Do I kind of like Mo Bergman? Mm -hmm. You know what they say, Mo Bergman, Mo Problems. <laughs> put him as your next slot. Do I kind of like can Mike Gaffney? I was going to say, put can you please mention Mike Gaffney yeah, before we get a letter saying that we're uh, picking the, favorites here? Here's the big G. G there star for Mike Gaffney. <laughs> and that's how I think you should do it, because that way you're maximizing your expected satisfaction with the election. Yes. And it's at least a strategy that has some rational basis behind it. Yes. If you want to vote based on emotion, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not going to judge you however you want to do it, man. You want to you know, we won't publicly judge. You're not going to avoid <laughs> me judging inside my heart, but what can I do? Well, Brendan. Hey, man, it's been a great season. Yeah. I'm done. All right, guys. Good seeing you. See, see you, you later. in a couple Bye -bye. of years.